This is Minnesota Liberty, brought to you by the Libertarian Party of Minnesota, bringing you peace, prosperity, and freedom from the land of 10,000 lakes. To our actual topic here with our guest, Kara Schultz, I would just like to give a couple announcements. Uh, the first announcement is our affiliates have a couple meetups coming up here. The CD3 affiliate meetup will be held on June 26th at Full Tilt Tavern. And on June 26th as well, we have the Minnesota Valley Libertarians June meetup, and that's going to be at Palietto's Pizza. So if you would like more information about those events, please visit our website at lpmn.org, and you can find that information under the events tab at the top. Uh, one other exciting bit of news is we have two new affiliates that have joined us, one up in Duluth and one in Rochester. So if you're in the Duluth or Rochester area, please go ahead and check out the website and get involved with the affiliates. And now, Rebecca and Kara, how's everybody doing? Good. Good. Excellent. It's a little hot here. How is it down there? Really, really hot. Yeah, it's probably <laughs> hotter there than it is here. And I, I get a lot of I get a lot of solar gain from all the windows in my store, and the mm. air conditioner is just like, <laughs> yep. So if I look flushed. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't actually have air conditioning in the north so much, so I'm like, oh, we can get through this. It's just a few days. <laughs> so um, tonight we're talking about politics, which I mean obviously, because we're a political party, but specifically because you, Kara, are the political director. Um, and so we were going to, you know, talk a little bit about uh, the challenges that the party has, um, is going to be facing uh, in short term and long term. Mm -hmm. And then some of the things that you have on your sites, um, you know, your strategy and how you hope to lead the political division, because arguably, I mean, that's a huge part, right, of our political party. So, you know, our that's a number one reason for existing. Yeah, that's is, why yep. we exist. Yep. <laughs> Run candidates and win. Yeah. So Troy asked me an interesting question. I was like, oh, we hadn't actually ever asked you this. But, you know, initially, we obviously you're a libertarian now because you're part of the party. But mm -hmm. how did you get to this point in your life? Like, what was the what was the kind of, you know, the the flow of that? How did you get to where you are now in your, your thought process and your, um, you know, your philosophy, I guess? Okay. Uh, so I had for a long time considered myself a conservative, but not a social conservative. My idea was I actually really, really believed that that government should be extremely limited right? And that power should be held as close down the chain as possible rather than top down. Um, and, and it was uh, very frustrating because, of course, you think you're one thing and then you're looking at these candidates and electeds and they're doing nothing like that. Like they, they might as well have been batting for the other team because like it was the same crap. Like it was just a slightly different flavor of the same crap. Um, it was, we want to expand government. We would like to expand it this way and we would like to expand it that way. And, you know, and, and so it was very frustrating for me. Um, 
and then I, I was, um, you know, I, I knew about, I guess, you know, philosophers who would be in like what would be considered in libertarian, libertarianism, libertarianism. Um, and some of those went back to like French philosophers. Um, some went to some of the, the Greek philosophers when the demos was like first forming as a, as a democratic entity. Um, and, you know, uh, American writers, like all that kind of stuff. Right. So I, I was entering in through there and then, um, before the 2008 election, I was working in downtown Rochester and the view that I had was right down like the, the main street. And on the corner, there were people holding up signs for Ron Paul. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. What's going on? And the owner of the company came and kind of looked down and he was like, oh, the crazy people. And I was like, hmm. That just made it sound more appealing to me. <laughs> um, and so I, they, they did that every day at lunch. And so I joined them. Um, I started joining them, whole, you know, being one of the crazy people holding up the signs. Um, and so I was, I was part of the Ron Paul 20, 2008. Um, and then, you know, we also had, which people don't remember. So at the beginning of both the Tea Party and the Occupy movements, Mm -hmm. They were extremely similar and you would see libertarians at those events until one of the other major parties would co-opt and shit all over the, that movement. Right. So the left came in and really took over the Occupy movement um, because that was a, that was a very anarchist movement. Right. Um, and then same with, same with Tea Party. You know, the GOP came in and, and co-opted that, right? And then they they um, make it so disgusting you can't even can't even be part of it. Uh, you know, so like all of that was kind of happening. Um, but by the 2012 election, um, I heard Gary Johnson debating for the GOP nomination. And I was like, that's the sweet spot. That, that is magnificent. Um, and he came across with very unabashed principles, but did so in a way that showed he was a decent human being. Like you would want to know him, you would want him to be your neighbor. Mm -hmm. um, but he also came across as very, you know, intelligent. You know, all of it. Um, looking at at how he governed when he was governor, where he instituted open hours, which meant any resident they didn't have to have an appointment they could go in and they got like you know five minutes with him if it needed longer or that kind of stuff he would schedule a further appointment but like he really opened things up to people so that they could they could participate um and so that's when i jumped into the libertarian party was I, I came on board with his campaign. I was like, that's my candidate. I will follow him wherever he goes. Uh, and so I um, joined the party, but I, I wasn't really connected into the party yet, but I ended up being the chair of the Gary Johnson campaign. 
and uh, and that kind of happened because the the chair was a wall of the of the campaign itself, and they wanted to do an event at McAllister, and it was a quick turnaround, and so I organized that. We got like national press coverage, and like it was a packed, packed event, like insanely packed. Um, and so they were like, congratulations, you're now chairing his campaign. So <laughs> you know how that happens when you do something decent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, that that was just a fantastic campaign experience. And we brought on a lot of people through that campaign that that were able to jump LPMN to where it is now. Like we could not have had minor party status without that campaign just on votes, but also the structure and a lot of the people that it brought on board. So, yeah. Awesome. Um, Thanks for sharing that. That's, that's quite the uh, start from being up in the office building, looking down on the crazies below to, to joining him to being where you are now. So glad you made that decision and glad we're all on the same team here. Well, and there, it's a common theme, you know, like uh, getting involved in the party, in, in this party at least, you know, because it's still um, in kind of in developing phases. Yeah. Really, all you have to do to be able to be involved and to, you know, to have influence mm -hmm. is just to be available. And, you know, that that's there's a lot of opportunity here to make um you know, a positive contribution and to help out yes. and to further what, you know, um, the libertarian mindset. Um, so we're, opportunity you're not going to be able to get in the DFL and the GOP. Um, no. Because they're rather entrenched at this point. Yeah, yeah, they are. Um, and it's it's really cutthroat as well. I mean, it's, it's very cutthroat. Um, you know, we're a very we're a very welcoming party and it's not just because we're small it's because of our like our core ethics um we're, we're very welcoming because we embrace freedom of association and people look at freedom of association as a negative thing i get to decide who i don't want to be around um, but there's also this huge positive of I get to decide who I do want to be around. And I also understand that they get to decide too. And if I'm an asshole, they exclude me. Like that's just how it is. Right. And so, you know, libertarian spaces are generally, unless it's online, because all online is a garbage. Fire. <laughs> yeah. That's a mess. Um, yeah. But they're, they're very, very welcoming because we do really embrace that. And we em embrace, you know, the core ethic of, of consent, you know, affirmative, informed consent. And that's how we interact with one another. We're, we're not going to force each other. We're not going to, you know, try to pressure. We're to, you know, we're about using our words to convince and to try to make an idea appealing to each other. And, you know, we, we believe that human interaction should be voluntary and, um, mutually beneficial you know it can't be a one-sided thing so mm -hmm. all of those things combine to make our spaces very welcoming very i mean if you're a new person out there come on jump in water's warm you know um no one will bite you 
unless you consent. Uh, so, <laughs> you know, I mean, and that's a good thing. And yes, you're absolutely right. There, there is space for you to shine. If you have something you would like to contribute, you know, a skill, an idea, that type of thing, you can do that. And there is space for you to shine in our garden. Like there's room for you to grow and really blossom. So, yeah. One of the things that I appreciate about the Libertarian Party as a whole, too, is that you don't have to agree. Like you don't mm -hmm. you don't have to, um, you know, bend to the party's agenda because there is no agenda. There's just, you know, we believe in freedom and in freedom in, you know, all these areas, as long as it's, you know, non-aggression principle, that's still a thing. Um, yeah. But that doesn't mean that we're forced into a box where we have to see eye to eye with leadership, right. with each other, with any of these. We just agree that we sh we need to be free to make our own choices. And it's yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have our platform, which mm -hmm. you know gives like which is by our delegates. Our delegates do the platform. This is not a top down thing. Um, and that gives what we generally agree upon. Like these are our ethics. This is what we believe to be true. This is the path we see forward. Um, but do you have to be on board with every single one of those? Absolutely not. You know, it's like most things. If you if you you know hit that seventy to eighty percent range, that's pretty damn good. You know, yep. when you're looking at agreement. And too often people focus on the areas where we we don't agree because that's that's how human brains work like when we are processing information we're looking for outliers we're not looking for likes we're looking for outliers um and so you know we do that with human interaction too and you have to you have to kind of retrain your brain right so we're looking for areas of commonality of agreement so when you get to that 70 to 80 percent you're golden you know um are the, you know, will we make a sport out of hashing over the minutia in that other 20 to 30%? Sure. <laughs> but that's because it's fun. That's because like, that's, you know, we'll say there's some people that enjoy that sport more than others. <laughs> yes. Yes. And for some people, it's, you know, a very genteel sport. And for others, it's, you know, a little more bare knuckle, but you know, yeah. Yep. I was just well, thinking of like Irish boxing when I was thinking of <laughs> how some people approach this, you know, just very. Um, yeah. Even in my marriage, I mean, we don't agree all, all the time and, you know, it works out. So right. it's right. Because you have some some main underpinning core ethics. Right. And that's what holds you together. Yeah. And, and that goals. holds you together in a marriage and it holds you together in a political party. Right. And one of the things, me being, I've only been a part of the party for a little over a year now. And one of the things that I, I find a value in the party is that people actually, you mentioned ethics, Kara, and, mm -hmm. and people actually hold true to their, their ethics. They're, they're very principled on things in the sense of they'll have an open debate in a mm -hmm. respectful way with somebody else. And despite some of the culture out there in our society today where debate is, is not appreciated, I, I really find that appealing that we are having those conversations and we will end up with, I think, a better party and, and better leadership and better things within because of having those debates within. And, and that, I think, lets the, the cream rise to the top. Yeah. I, you know, our idea is that good ideas don't require force, right? And so if you are not going to use the tactic of force 
to implement your ideas, you have to go with persuasion. And uh, that is why there is a like a real robust culture of discussion and debate within libertarianism, because we're trying to hone in on, you know, how do we be more persuasive? How do we be more concise? How do we get closer to the actual meaning of this? You know, that's the pursuit that we're after. And it does make us very different from the R's and the D's because their primary um, methodology for implementation of their ideas is force. And so their, like their cultures inside revolve around that and reinforce that. So that's the skills that they're sharpening are skills of force and coercion. So, yeah. Yep. Um, so for political director, what are some of the things that you're working on currently? Quite a bit. Um, so some of it is really foundational. Uh, just getting a list of every seat that's open for 2023 and when the filing deadline is, right? Um, so even just doing that, um, which many people are like, oh, well, there's obviously a file somewhere and you just download it. No, I wish that would be magnificent. That would be really nice. Yes, because in Minnesota, the um, you know, the the elections are governed by the county. So they're administered by the county not the state. And then the county, when they get the election results, they just report it back on up. Um, so it's each county that's holding these files. <laughs> so it's a little bit of a process. Um, and in contacting persons in government to get information, they will do it, but do not expect a tight timeline, if you know right. what I mean, mm -hmm. right? Um, so even, even something simple like that is a fair number of man hours. But we're also doing things like assisting with coming up with policy statements, especially with issues that um, our candidates will face on the local level. So like municipal, school board, that type of thing, um, which of course candidates can run on whatever they wish to run on. They can phrase it how they wish to phrase it. But so often candidates ask, I'm having trouble coming up with a way to say this. Is there at least something I can look at and right. then I could I could customize it for myself? So we would like to get to that. And we would like to do that using examples from other elected libertarians. So not only can we say this is a policy position, but we can say it's been implemented and it has gone favorably, right? So that's always a plus when you're talking to voters. Um, other things that we're looking at, uh, so we have a candidate guidebook, but it's more of a like a, a basic book on running for office. So I'm redoing that and I'm doing it into a workbook format, okay. which means it's fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. So you'll go through it. It's going to ask you questions. You're going to fill it in the fill in the blank. And when you get to the end of it, you will have a campaign plan. So we're looking at that. We're looking at setting up training for candidates and campaign teams. Um, we're looking at how we recruit candidates, um, our channels that we use to recruit candidates. We're looking at a very, um, very robust candidate support program, um, which we're finalizing the details on that to present and get approval for. Um, but we're looking at what are concrete ways that we can help 
prospective candidates and help them be more successful. Uh, and that includes information. It can, it includes money. It includes like, it's a whole package of things. So pretty, pretty excited about that. Um, because many time candidates contact and they're like, how can you help? You know, like I want to do this, but I don't know how to do it. And I, I just need some help. Um, so there, there is a long, 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 list of things that I'm trying to accomplish. So as people are contacting me and I'm, I'm telling them maxed out, um, <laughs> this is why, <laughs> uh, because I'm, I'm really trying to get a lot of foundational pieces in place this year mm -hmm. so that we can be, do a test run this year be successful next year. Not the smallest part is the petitioning for the presidential candidate. Yeah. And that's next year. That's next year. That's a bear. Yep. And it, it is a huge effort over a fairly short period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Kara, first I want to say, I, I commend you for having the ability to say no when you already are maxed out because that's a tough skill. And <laughs> oftentimes are saying, oh yeah, I'll do this. And then balls kind of get dropped because we right. can't be up front and say no to things. Um, so I commend you for that. You mentioned the, the part about the candidates. So 87 counties in the state, if I'm not mistaken, you have to reach out to each county to get a list of elections that are being, that's, as you said, a, a lot of resources that to, and to you have to there. follow up with calls and calls. Yes. Now, as far as candidates, the, the idea is as a political party, we have kind of a, a, a structure here where we're working towards helping candidates get elected to office. Yes. My question is what, from your view as the political director, what is somebody or if somebody's listening to this and says, I don't know, am I, am I a candidate for office? What would you say makes a good candidate? So, what makes a good candidate is number one, that they have the time. They have time to run for office because it's consuming. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, it is, it is very time consuming. Um, when I run for city council, I start in end of May, like mid May. And I knock on doors until election day. And when I say I knock on doors, it is, every single evening and every single weekend. And so there's not, there's not birthday parties. There's not 4th of July. There's not like, I'm not doing anything else. You know, that that's just how it is. Mm -hmm. Now that's also a, a city of, of 64,000 people and it's at large. So that's why there's such an intensive effort. Um, you may be thinking about running, but you're running in a small town. But you still have to evaluate the time. Do you have the time to knock doors, to, to hit some events? Would you have time to go to the meetings, you know, the town council meetings or the school board meetings? If you can't start going to those meetings as a candidate, how are you going to attend them if elected, right? Mm -hmm. um, the next thing is that they have a supportive family, um, whether that is their family that they have started or their family, meaning their parents and siblings, right? So is their family supportive? Um, because if that answer is no, that you're not going to make it through a campaign. You're not. Well, you might, but then you might 
not have the people (laughs) you came into the campaign with. Um, So you want to make sure of that. The other thing is that the person is connected to their local community. Are you involved in things? Do people in town know who you are? Do you know your neighbors? Could you list even 20 people in your town that you know by name? Um, Are you in any service groups? Are you in any religious organizations? Do you volunteer anywhere? If the answer to that one is no, um, then I would ask that you consider spending this next election time doing that, becoming connected to your community, right? Having your face seen around, um, getting to be known so that people know you. uh, And so when they hear, because they will, that you're a libertarian and someone's like, obviously crazy, uh, someone can say, oh, no, I know, I know her. I know him actually not bad, not bad. You might want to take a look, right? So you, you do need to, to take, maybe take that step back and be known in your, in your community. And the last one is um, financial capacity. Do you, or does your network, your personal network, can you fund that campaign? People think that when you run as one of the legacy party candidates that you step up and the legacy party hands you a pot of cash. That does not happen. It actually happens in reverse. So when you run as an R or a D, what happens is, yes, there's a network of people, like you're more apt to get volunteers. But what happens is they say, yeah, come on. And then they give you an app, a door knocking app, right? But the condition of getting that data and that door knocking app is that you ask questions for the up ticket and you fundraise for the up ticket. So as you're knocking on doors, it has questions you have to ask. And if you don't ask those questions on a certain percentage, you get cut off from data. And so a lot of those questions are, well, who are you supporting for state Senate? And then you're supposed to pimp that candidate and hand out their information and fundraise for them. So the milking machine actually goes the opposite direction than people think. Interesting. Um, so candidates that run, if you don't know the people, and if you can't get someone to give you a dollar, how are you going to get them to give you a vote? So hmm. that is, it's, it's a screening process. I mean, is dirty, dirty money involved way too much in politics? 100%. Absolutely. Um, but when you're gauging a run, money is just a unit of energy. And you're looking at volunteer hours, you're looking at your personal connections, and you're looking at actual cash. And all of those are just units of energy. And they need to add up, like the three of them need to add up to a possibility of winning. That was probably way more information than you wanted. No, I was, um, cause I ran for school board last mm-hmm. election cycle. And so I would say that, yeah, that's all of this true. I can see how, you know, those different areas all play mm-hmm. into a successful campaign. And while I did not win the school board seat, 
which I'm actually very grateful for. Um, it, it, you know, I, I, I did really well because of, you know, being involved in the community. Yes. Um, and knowing so many people. And I didn't realize how many people I knew in the community until I ran for school board. Um, and then I was kind of like, oh, actually, I know a lot of people. So right. it was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And oftentimes people do know more people than they think. You know, when we think, oh, do I know these people? We're like, do I have deep soul searching conversations with <laughs> No, that's that's not that's not what we mean. <laughs> yeah, and for me, it was uh, church involvement and farmers market involvement, oh, yeah. and um, you know just things like that. Living in the community for ten years, and yeah, those are all hub of the community things. type things. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah, that's what it was. I didn't get a chance to respond to, to Kara, as you said, that might have been a little too much. I thought that was perfect. So thank you for that. And the reason I wasn't responding quickly is I was actually writing down your quote there. If you can't get someone to give you a dollar, how are you going to give them to give you your vote? That I think that's that sums it up. It's a libertarian concise right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I get questions a lot on fundraising. Fundraising is difficult for people and it's difficult because they don't ask. Um if they would ask, it would be much easier, <laughs> funny enough. Um, but I, I find it strange that people are perfectly comfortable asking for hours of another person's life, meaning to volunteer. Could you do this? Could you do that? Could you do this? Could you help me? Could you, right? Completely feel fine asking for minutes and hours of someone's life that they will never get back ever. But squeamish asking for like 10 bucks, 20 bucks, a hundred bucks, which 100% is going to be replaced, mm -hmm. yeah. you know? So again, people have to shift their thinking. And, you know, when I help candidates, we role play, but we also go through on shifting that. And I also tell people, we really believe in consent, right? We're back to that. We believe in consent. Why are you making a decision for someone else? Don't do that. Give someone the opportunity. That's all you're doing. You're not pressuring them. You're giving someone the opportunity to achieve their goal through your campaign. And maybe they don't have time but they have money and they would prefer to do that. But if you don't give them the opportunity, you made a decision for them. And that is, that is not what consent is about. And that's not what a mutually beneficial, respectful, you know, interaction is either. So, yeah. So as libertarians, we have, you know, obviously we have, uh, we don't have any state level seats that are occupied oh. by our party. Um, in Minnesota, um, or well, any of them in Minnesota. So the strategy, so in thinking, you know, shifting thinking, the strategy um, for getting people into these political positions, mm -hmm. you know, running a nonpartisan local race. Um, and I, you know, we had basically like a retreat a couple weeks ago. And this was one of the things we talked about, right? Yeah. Was small, um, these small races, things that were easier to win, 
that you didn't have to sign on to a political party to do. So what is the strategy for the party or what are you thinking? How is the direction for helping get people into those roles in our state? Um, which, I mean, there's so there's a lot of those roles available right? because 87 counties, that's a lot. Minnesota is a big state. There are seats that no one runs for. They end up having to be appointed because no one even put their name down. So if you had a libertarian in that area that would put write their name down, like file, just file, they would they would win that election. One of the number one things that has been holding us back is people people just don't know what races are being run. You know, just getting that information out there because you may say, well, of course, people know that there's a city council race. Oh, really? Well, is it a city council race in their ward? Is it on an even year, an odd year? Is it a two-year seat? Is it a four-year seat? What year is it up? When's the filing deadline? Is there a primary? No, people don't know that. Like, they just don't know that. And when you go to, like, your town's website, it may not even have that information in there. Like, so that is one of the first hurdles is people will kind of think, yeah, you know, I should run for office. I'm not sure what I should run for. So identifying those races that it's even possible for them to, to run. Right. Um, and then the other thing is people are more familiar with state rep, state Senate, um, U S Senate governor, like, you know, all of those types of marquee races, but there's a lot of other seats as well. Yes, there's county commission, but there's also soil and water. Yeah. Like there's these hidden little, very powerful positions. No one runs for the incumbents been in there forever. No one even knows who that person is because um, they're usually pretty introverted. Um, so if, if you campaigned, like you could grab that seat, right? Um, so getting the information out about what seats are even available to run and, and when and letting people know right? We have to do a better job of that. Um, number two is helping people who do want to run, identify what their goal is and help them achieve that goal. If someone is interested in winning office, right? They want to win office and they have the choice between Orinoco City Council or State Senate, and their main goal is I want to win elected office so I can affect policy. They should probably go for Oronoco City Council and not the state seat, right? So it's also helping potential candidates identify their goal and see their goal clearly and find out more about these positions. And then it comes down to showing people the ropes most of the time, our candidates are going to be first-time candidates, which personally to me, that's one of the most exciting things. When I've recruited candidates over the years, it has been incredibly exciting to me, the sheer percentage of first-time candidates, um, that they just, they just, you know, got that, that feeling and that passion and, and got to do it. Um, but the downside of that is they don't know anything, anything about the process. Absolutely nothing. Um, and so it is a lot to learn. 
in a really short period of time. So how do we do that effectively? And that's also what we have to, we have to get better on and get our processes and be able to do. Um, if we do that, if we do those things, we're going to see a higher win percentage. Yeah. Sure. I went to my, because uh, I live in rural Minnesota, right? So mm -hmm. uh, we have township boards and I went to our township meeting and it was funny because I walked in and there was, it was actually packed and I was a little surprised because, you know, yeah. I, I was under the impression that nobody went to their township board meetings, but Depends the room was the packed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and they were all, they were all there to complain. Basically that's, that's why they were there. <laughs> and so the township board went through all the, you know, the guests individually to find out why they were there. Yep. And all, all of them, 100%, except for me, were there to complain about the roads. My and, roads. Yeah. So when they got to me, they were like, and, you know, why are you here? And I was like, well, I'm, yeah. I'm actually just here to observe. I just, I'm mm -hmm. just going to watch. And one of the guys immediately stood up and he was like, that's, that's a future township board member. Do you want a job? He was like, you can have my job. And, and I was just like, uh, I'm actually, I'm kind of booked right now. Like, <laughs> I can't, you know, but the willingness um, mm -hmm. of people to take those positions is yes. you just, you just need to step in and say, Hey, I'm willing to do this, especially in, oh, in the yeah. township board, they're elected positions also. Right. So, yes. And yeah. they and have there a be lot clerk. of policy changes in the township. Yeah. Huge, huge. Yeah. I, I think so. The the more local you get, the more government affects people in their everyday life, like down to where can you put your garbage can, right? Oh, yeah. All those little things that drive you freaking nuts, right? Yeah. So it is a really good area to get involved. And one thing that I've seen time and time again is thoughtful candidates who run a tough race. Um, but they, you know, they run an ethical campaign. Um, even if they don't win the seat, they often, and I mean extremely often, get asked right after the election to join a commission or or join some other part of that that policymaking body. Um, also, what I've seen happen is shortly after the election, one of the newer people gets gets on there and they take a look around and they go, oh, my God, I am in hell. I resign. And there is a large percentage of your first time elected that that do that in, you know, within their first year. And what they'll generally do is they'll hold a special election or they may appoint. And if they appoint, a lot of times they appoint the second person, like the runner up for that seat. Um, so, you know, hang in there, hang in there. Kira, one of the questions that, that I've been puzzled about with, with the party, as far as what I've seen from a strategic point with candidates and gaining visibility right. for the party is we've seemed to focus on those local ones. And I 100% agree with what you said, that those are the positions that affect your everyday life. Mm -hmm. However, they're nonpartisan positions in Minnesota. They are. Yes. So how does that help get more notoriety for the party and advance the, the party when the positions are not an L behind the candidate's name? Right. So every time the person's name is mentioned, it doesn't have the little parentheses with L, right? Um, 
So how you do that is uh, a lot of times it is done for you. Uh, about a, about 30% of the time when the newspaper covers anything about me, they put libertarian. They do not identify the party of anyone else in a nonpartisan position, but they make sure they mention about 30% of the time libertarian. And the reason is because Republican and Democrat is dog bites man. Libertarian is man bites dog, right? It's out of the ordinary. And so they put that in there. Um, if people know you're running as a libertarian, it will, it will become a thing in your election. Like it's going to be a thing. Yep. Um, it did for so, school board. Yeah. It, uh, so you think it's nonpartisan, but trust me, it no, very people are partisan. is not nonpartisan. Uh, but the other thing that it does is, uh, as you are then elected and you're in office and you're proposing things, you're able to say them in a way that is is conforming to libertarian ethics, right? Um, so you're proposing policies that are in line with our ethics when, and you're also using language in a way that reinforces libertarian ethics. Um, when we have people that come in front of us, uh, companies, developers, and they want some type of deal, right? They want money, they want TIF, they want something, right? Um, I don't call it TIF, I don't call it any of those things, I call it corporate welfare every single time. And I do that right in city council and it's to the point where the developers come up and they're like, I'm here for some welfare, you know? So, um, you know, you, I mean, you know, you do it in a way that gets the point across without being a dick, right? Kind of a fine line on that. Um, and so when those things are talked about, a lot of times the press will come back to you and they will say, is that a libertarian thing, right? And you're like, no, it is a ethical effective thing that because it's ethical and effective, it is within libertarian policy, right? So, you, you know, you're reframing it that way. Um, so it will get mentioned over and over and over. Your residents will see what it's like for a libertarian to serve them and to truthfully serve them, not govern them. We don't govern. We serve our residents, right? So that's another difference. And when you do that, they're more apt to vote for other libertarians up the ticket. And we did kind of a little test of that. Um, we wanted to see, is there any needle moving in my city? You know, is that helping at all? Um, so we had a candidate run and we had him do literally nothing other than fill out just a couple lines in the newspaper survey nothing. I mean, nothing. I'm like, you can't don't do nothing. Um, and the percentage was pretty damn good. <laughs> you remember um, what it was? Yeah. So the percentage was, I think it was 8%, which doesn't sound very good. No, that is good. Crowded field. It was a jungle primary. So we're not to a general election, we're to a primary, which mm -hmm. primaries are true believers. That's your party loyalists vote in primaries. Your randos don't vote in primaries. 
So it is the toughest nut to crack, right? Mm -hmm. Most difficult circumstances. Um, so to hit an 8% in a jungle primary, and by jungle, I think we had over eight people running for two seats, um, mm -hmm. many of them very well known and two of them incumbents. <laughs> That was phenomenal. And it was yeah. markedly higher than the last time that we had done that experiment. So it was at like, I think 3%. Um, so in just a, a few years, that needle did move. So don't worry that it's nonpartisan. I get what you're talking about, Troy. And there is a reason to run different candidates at different levels. They all have a purpose. If someone wants to run for state rep or state Senate, there is a purpose to that. And there is some real good that you can do. Um, same with our ballot access races. You know, they serve a very specific purpose, right? Um, when we're looking at state rep and state senate, that's about information. That is getting information out about what libertarianism is, um, what our ideas are, what our solutions are, how we can make their lives better. Um, and it's also information flowing back our way as well. Who out there is open to that idea? Could we locate and find more libertarians? Could we find people who are interested in voting for libertarians? How do we capitalize on that? So trust me, there's reasons to run at every level. We just have to be smart about matching the reason and the goal to the office level and make sure that they match. I love that. And especially that the purpose for the position that that's yeah. key. And I know we're running close to the our end here, but one yep. of the things that I, I did want to ask was in regards to, and you brought up petitioning as, yeah. a, as the, the uh, purpose of that position and with minor party status, major party status, could, could you address some of that here and the importance of that in, in our, the upcoming 2024 race? Yes. So we are a minor party. We are not a major party. And um, the major parties, primarily the DFL, but in other years, it's been the GOP that's tried to screw us. Um, but the DFL was successful in it. Uh, and they raised the vote total that you have to get to 8%. So before we could have been a major party if we had a candidate break through the 5% threshold in vote. Um, the closest we came was was a, a Gary Johnson run. Um, now it's 8%. And it's not just 8%, like, because people are like, oh, well, you should easily be able to get 8%. Okay, well, you have multiple emerging parties trying to get that vote. Mm -hmm. So now say you have three or four of them. It's not 8%. You're looking at, at getting close to having to take a plurality of votes or a half of votes or a large minority of votes away from the two old parties, right? The two legacy parties. Um, so that is extremely difficult. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that sucks. Um, the other barrier that we have is to get our candidates on the ballot in a partisan race. They have to gather petitions. They have to do so within their area and they have to do so within a very tight window. Um, this is not easy. Um, 
it's it's difficult to get the signatures done. They have to be done perfectly because trust me, the old parties go through and scratch. I don't like that one now and man, I can't read that one, you know. And so you have to like fight to keep every every one of them on there. Um, so it's extremely difficult and it does a couple things. Number one, it it bleeds us of time and volunteers. So you can't jump into the campaign because you have to wait and do the petitioning. You can't even like get the petitioning done in January. Like, oh, I want to get it done in January so I can get a start on my campaign. No, you got to wait until they give you your window. Yeah. So everyone else is out campaigning, meeting voters, getting votes, and you are trying to wait to do your petitioning. The other thing it does is now you have volunteers who are not knocking on doors and you are not knocking on doors saying, hey, you know, this is me, vote for me. Um, the number is too overwhelming to gather signatures going door to door. You can't do that because some people are like, well, you just get the signatures and get the votes. You can't do that. Um, you have to do a different tactic to get the number of petition signatures within that narrow window. Um, so your volunteers are now spending their time getting petitions. And so by the time you are able to get to door knocking, which you will have to hit three times as hard with three times the number of people because you've had to delay, um, your volunteers are now burnt. They're crispied, right? They're crispied from that petitioning effort uh, because it is, it is difficult, stressful, <laughs> You feel like you've been run over by a Mack truck when you get done. Like you hand in those petitions and you're just like, oh. so that's purposeful on the part of the, the two old legacy parties to do that. They're trying to do, they're trying to create as many barriers to entry as they can to protect their power. So they use their power in their position as electeds to protect their power. What a shock. And if I'm not mistaken, that time frame for the petitioning, I believe that falls over Labor Day. Memorial Labor, Day. Memorial Day, sorry. Yep, Memorial Day yeah. weekend. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where a lot of people are out uh, doing other things, not around. Exactly. And it's not like your volunteers are like, I know what I want to do for Memorial Weekend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. Go to door to door and beg for signatures. Yeah. Yes. Please, sir. May I have a signature? <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you before we run out of time. So <clears throat> the Libertarian Party on the national level has a couple of people that have claimed like that are, you know, obviously running for the presidential nomination through the yes. party. Yep. Uh, Chase Oliver from Georgia and yes. Mike Tremont. I don't remember what state he's from. Is it Florida? New York or New Jersey? New one of those. Or is it? Okay. Somewhere. Anyways, it doesn't matter. It's national. <laughs> yes. Um, so what are some challenges I, I think there's one more. Lars. Yeah, maybe there. Yeah, I think Lars has actually, I think he's the one, only one that's actually filed paperwork. Oh, okay. I think others have announced, but I think he has actually filed his paperwork. Okay. Hmm. So what are some, like those, those people individually, what are some of their, I guess, strengths and weaknesses they're going to have mm -hmm. to face? Um, what makes them like viable? Because obviously we can only come out with one nomination for a presidential candidate. And yeah, that 
could impact us directly because we're going to rely on that person to get the percentage at the very least to maintain our minor party status. It's do or die. Yeah. So what are some things um, like that they, what are some of their strengths? What would, how would they, you know, things that they, how well would they perform? What are some things they're going to have to face in Minnesota specifically? So the, the big thing in is what our candidates for president face every time coming into Minnesota. And that is getting, getting any kind of press coverage whatsoever, because, you know, you, you hold these rallies and events, these presidential rallies. Um, yes, because it psychs up the volunteers, right? It's throwing red meat, mm-hmm. you know, um, but really what you're going for is you're going for press coverage and you want positive press coverage from that. Uh, generally, it's not that we get negative press coverage. It's just that we get shut out. Yeah. Um, like they just refuse to even acknowledge that anything took place. Well, that's what um, they did to Gary Johnson, right? Yeah. You know, we were able to get him some press coverage. The interesting thing was we were able to get him more national press coverage than we were able to get him press coverage in Minnesota. So that was fun. Um so getting press coverage is is the big one. Um, and then there is I, there's what it comes down to with every every campaign, it's money and it's volunteers. And we're you know, we're struggling on both. like our presidential candidates struggle on both. Um, And that's that's a hard one. Um, and the the root cause of both of them is the uh, wasted vote fallacy. Like that's that's at the heart of it, right? Mm-hmm. It's difficult to recruit volunteers. It's difficult to to get donations because you know throwing away blah 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 bullshit. Um, and there's even like a, a step back cause from on that. Um, so human beings make, make decisions like it's either a, a decision, habitual decision, which then, you know, you wear grooves in your brain, right? So it can short, do shortcuts and it sits in the back. Um, or when you're confronted with a new decision that you have to make, that's a, like a frontal cortex decision. And so people get in the habit of voting for a particular party. And so it becomes the decision back here in the animal brain. You cannot logic anyone out of that. Once the decision-making process is back there, you cannot logic it out. You can only push it into now a frontal cortex decision through um, some pretty passionate emotion. So, and that's, that's difficult to do, especially when you're being ignored by the media, right? Well, and that's very intentional on their part. It is. Yeah, it is. Um, And if you think that journalists don't have a home team, they absolutely do. Every single one of them has a home team. Um, Even the ones that try very, very hard not to allow bias to creep in. It's it's just not possible. Right. I was just uh, as you guys were were talking, I checked out to see who the candidates were for 2024. And I haven't been on the site before, but it's uh, Patty for Liberty. And she's got uh, the Mike Termott and Lars Mapstead, I believe is how you say it. Yep. And then Chase Oliver is listed on here. 
And then some hopefuls, I think these are more. Uh, Justin Amash is listed on here. Dave Smith is listed on here. <laughs> but um, I hate to break people's hearts. They're not running. <laughs> yeah. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, Kira, as far as one thing on, on the national level with the LP, that's a little bit different, I think, than some of the other parties. And correct me if I'm wrong, I'm a little new to this, but the president and the vice president candidate pick separately? Yes. Okay. Can, can you tell just a real quick how that works? It They are counted as utterly separate elections. So the presidential nomination is decided first and they do it how they have the full list of candidates, right? And then the bottom, if someone does not get over 50%, right? Then the bottom one drops out and you revote. It's not retallied. Okay. Everyone gets to revote again because that allows people on the floor to have discussions with one another in between votes, right? Uh, and the same exact thing is done for vice president. And they do that because a lot of times candidates who did not get president will then go on to the vice president ticket, right? They'll vie for that nomination. Um, and then the voting is done the exact exact same way. There are times where a presidential candidate that achieves the nominee will express a preference. And there are times when they do not. Joe Jorgensen purposefully did not express a preference. Um, I, th I think it was common knowledge who her preference was, but she refused to say in public on the record who her preference was. Um, Gary Johnson did a preference for Bill Weld, made a personal appeal. Um, I can't remember if he did for Judge Gray because that was his vice presidential running mate in 2012. I don't remember that, so I shouldn't. So who was, do you remember who George Jorgensen's preference was? Because Spike Cohen ended up running yes. with her. Yes. Was, it was, was Mark. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I like and it. I don't think I'm speaking out of turn on that. I don't think she'd be angry with me. Yeah. You know, I mean, she's happy with how, how the um, campaign turned out. I think the delegates were, were pretty happy. So, you know, um, but I can definitely see why Mons would have been a very appealing vice presidential candidate. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, most of the candidates have pluses and minuses, right? Yeah. So. Yep. Well, I mean, it worked. We didn't win a libertarian president, but it could have, you know, at least for us, it helped us keep our minor party status. Yes, it did. So. Absolutely. It did. Um, we are just about out of time. So I wanted to tell you, thank you for coming on. That was a very quick hour. I think I felt like yeah, it, it, it flew by fast. Very <laughs> informative. At the time, I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> well, and Kara, thanks for sharing. You got a, a wealth of knowledge. So thanks for sharing that with us. And I'm yep. looking forward to seeing the great things that this party is going to be doing here. Yeah. yeah look out. Like Yep. If you would like to join the party, lpmn.org, just go and, you know, look up membership information and that's where it all comes to. And yep, help us out. All right. We will uh, see you guys next week.
mn.org just go and you know look up membership information and that's where it all comes to and yep help us out all right we will uh see you guys next week